0: Today's episode of The Road Taken with CT and Bayo is presented by State Farm.
1: State Farm agents
0: know that in life, anything can happen. You might buy your dream car on impulse. Or come home to a broken-in apartment. Maybe say yes to a proposal from your significant other and start a family.
1: Or find yourself in a fender bender when you least expect it. Whatever happens, when it comes to home and auto insurance, State Farm agents are there to help. And with over 19,000 agents in neighborhoods across the U.S., there could be one just around the corner. So contact an agent today.
0: Because no matter what neighborhood you're from or whatever stage of life you're in, check out statefarm.com today to find an agent in your neighborhood.
1: State Farm. Talk to an agent today. And welcome to the second episode of The Road Taken with C.T. and Bayo. I'm Bayo, And I'm C.T. And Chris, could you tell us where we are right now? Right now, we are in section 315, row one, seats 11 and 9 of a venue and sporting event arena that is called Madison Square Garden. First off, why are we in Madison Square Garden? It's like... 1 30 in the afternoon. What are the two of us doing? Why would we be in Madison Square Garden today? We're taking the tour.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there's a tour you can take to see behind the scenes. Uh, no, we are performing this evening in this very room. Why are we performing here? Because we play in That's, a band called Vampire
1: Weekend. Okay. Listen, li- you know, this is I the second that... episode. Maybe someone didn't catch the first episode. I just want to
0: make sure there's a little bit of, you know, I took that, that as context. a way more existential question. <laughs> 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 How did we get here? Yeah, yeah, You know, a lot of the cultural factors, a lot of... We the, walked you know. over. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, the band that we play in Vampire Weekend is performing at Madison Square Garden tonight. According to the marquee outside, it is sold out.
1: That's pretty cool. Truly, this is so exciting. Just watching the venue come together before our show tonight. CT, what's before
0: our eyes? Well, past this little glass divider that keeps people in the Chase Skybridge safe, we are seeing the stage. Right now, the union-mandated lunch period has just completed. Mm -hmm. And everyone is kind of running around the stage, they're hooking up mics, they're putting up cymbals, they're testing keyboards, they're hanging lights. It looks like the Mm -hmm. PA, all the speakers are up now, where our sound guy, Neil, just told me a story that the first time he did sound at this venue, when the White Stripes were performing, Mm -hmm. that when the doors opened for the concert, only half the PA was up in where it should be, was hung. That seems pretty horrifying, so they did a line check with only half of their available firepower audio firepower but the show was
1: great awesome and i gotta say this is a very special day for me maybe because we're here on the chase sapphire bridge but this is where my dad's new york Rangers season tickets currently are and uh, i've been coming here and watching hockey games since i was nine years old in 1994 my second concert was here seeing tom petty on the wildflower store and this is truly the most important room for me that I could ever play music in. So we got here extra early, got here around 1, and all of a sudden I had this insane burst of adrenaline and I was essentially ready to hop on stage and give a performance.
0: You grabbed the first guitar you saw. I, I did. just started strumming away.
1: And maybe it was a mistake to get here so early and so jacked up because we're not playing for another seven hours. So I'm going to need to calm down eventually. But I got to say... This is a big one for us. Um, CT, who's our guest today on the road taken? Our guest is someone who has
0: performed on this stage, I believe, more than once. I I think they did
1: two nights back in December, even. Uh, Oh, you're hearing right now, if you can hear this, it's white noise playing over the PA system. It's So that way they can flush out frequencies and find out what's going on with the sound system. I, I sincerely hope that our microphones are picking up at least a little bit of it so you have some idea what i'm talking about i'll I'll
0: point it towards about really yeah yeah. check out that white noise sounds great fascinating excellent uh for an audio medium in particular you got
1: to you got to do that okay so winston has played i didn't
0: say his name yet oh fuck (laughs) what's the guy's name it's sir winston marshall of the band mumford and sons Mm -hmm. amongst other things as we talk about absolutely
1: And this was actually the very first interview we ever did for The Road Taken, and uh, I'm guessing this is going to come out sometime in October, but the conversation was from November of the year 2018, and it was in our home studio, which you'll get to learn more about in Los Angeles, but CT, what's the name of our studio? It's not a legal entity,
0: but we refer to it... um, Internally. Internally as CNC Music Factory.
1: And fun fact, it was the working title of this podcast, but we were told we could not call this podcast CNC Music Factory, and we respected that advice, and so that's why it's called The Road Taken with CT and Bayo. Um, what were some highlights of this conversation?
0: Well, this isn't really the, the conversation itself, but I remember being probably about five or ten minutes in, mm-hmm. being very excited that this idea that that I had had that we talked about that we were mm-hmm. that we were making happen, and the fact that we were actually talking to someone with microphones, and I thought having a very good conversation was very exciting to me. So that was... When I think back, I think of, wow, this is cool. We're, we're really making this happen.
1: Yeah, and again, yeah, this conversation was from almost a year ago. So just, you know, put that in the historical timeline of the world. But uh, a couple of things that stuck out to me was talking about train touring, talking about doing DJ hours. Winston put out an incredible record uh, last year. or might have been a year and a half ago with uh, the electronic group HVOB called Silk, Winston Marshall and HVOB, which you should definitely check out. Also, I got to say, Winston has one of the most soothing voices I've ever heard. And since this was the first one we recorded, we've listened back to it a bunch. And like, he just has a gorgeous, gorgeous speaking voice. Truly. Yeah, it just was super, uh, super nice. Oh, also one other thing about three quarters through the conversation, a shocking plot twist occurs. Uh, You know, Winston's someone we've known for, I don't know, six, seven years, but uh, it turned out that our history went back way further than that. A little bit of a a script flip, as you might say. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling about playing tonight, man? Uh, It's feeling very real to me as all the stuff is happening in front of our eyes. How does it feel for you? Well, as you just mentioned, we have a few hours to go.
0: So I'm trying to pace my... You know, because I think it's important, particularly for big shows or any show, to pace and balance both the the nerves, which Mm -hmm. could break bad potentially, and the excitement, which generally fuels the adrenaline and you know helps you perform. So... People have been asking me this like the last few days, the last week or so, and I've I haven't really been thinking about it too much, yeah. purposefully to not peak too soon or mm-hmm. or peak too late, as it were. But I, you know, I think being in the room, and I think this is a, a rare experience for people that don't work in arenas, kind of, is to oh, see yeah. a building designed to hold fifteen to twenty thousand souls, and you know, see all the seats empty and picturing them filling up over the rest of the day. I think it's it's a pretty cool sight. Yeah, definitely.
1: And now, I, I don't want to delve too deep into your personal life on this podcast, but you did say you didn't sleep until 5 a.m. And again, if this is way too personal, we can cut it. Uh, Well, I mean, that's a little bit. I was a half-truth. It was because... Well, why did... Well, you being, said that because you were a little... We had made plans to meet at 11.45 oh, see,
0: you're, in you're the just, lobby. You're just roasting me for being down at 12 12.18. 12, 18. Yeah, yeah.
1: So... No, no. I just... <laughs> but I want to know, like, yeah, you had a little trouble sleeping last night.
2: Uh, I did have a
0: little trouble sleeping. I... But I was a really good boy. I fell asleep at ten thirty, mm-hmm. but then woke up at one thirty uh, because on the normal sleep cycle on this tour with the bus and stuff, I'm not really falling asleep till three or four, anyways. Yeah, yeah. So you know, just had a had a nice little midnight snack of watching a few billions episodes. Oh, nice. Love billions um, season two. It's really things are really heating uh, up. Season two is just watched uh, my favorite the, uh, season, the Alpha Cup, the okay, poker nice. so good it was stuff. So very exciting. Um, and uh, eventually, was able to put that down, read a little bit of a book. Get some sleep. I'm feeling rested. I'm feeling good. Did you feel like maybe because we were playing such a historic venue today, that was why you were having a little trouble sleeping? Yeah, I mean, I could try to front and say no, but it's there for sure. I mean, yeah, I remember very early on that when we met our booking agent, Adam, booking agent is the person who contracts with the band and helps them, picks the venues, helps you know negotiate how, how and when they're playing and all that stuff and helps us plan tours as he has since our very first tour. And uh, he was just talking about At the time, we were playing a very small venue in New York called the Mercury Lounge. Mm -hmm. And he was just sort of, I think, a little bit joking, a little bit just talking about one of the many potential universes that could happen. Yeah. Of talking about how, you know, you can go from Mercury Lounge to MSG. And I think, I don't know. I I really don't know, actually. But I would assume that most people that, particularly if they're from... Anywhere near the East Coast, or I, th- I think Madison Square Garden's reputation precedes itself absolutely worldwide. But uh world's most famous arena, self-proclaimed. <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I you know you kind of in a little bit of a that thing you do sort of metaphorical mm-hmm. moment. You kind of do take stock and think about how you got here. It's to quote Kenny Rogers in the Eagles documentary, okay, as we yeah. like to do. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I. For me, last night, I knew I would have trouble sleeping, so uh, I had a nice heavy meal of tapas with my wife who flew into town, and then I took a legal over-the-counter sleep aid, and (laughs) as a result, I slept a solid 11 hours, just because I know I wouldn't have been able to sleep beforehand. I'm not recommending uh, legal over-the-counter sleep aids for anyone. Things can be habit-forming, but it worked for me. I feel great. I'm going to ask you some questions, because I feel like...
0: I've been to MSG a few times, but I think you've been here way more. Can you describe? I've
1: been here very, very many times. What some of your
0: highlights have been in this this room? A lot of it is
1: sports-related, and I'm not a huge sports guy, but I did grow up loving hockey and loving the New York Rangers. So I was lucky enough in 2014 to be here when the Rangers were in the Stanley Cup. And they were drubbed by the Los Angeles Kings in the series. But I got to be here for the one game that they won in the Stanley Cup. And I actually got to also be here at the game they won in the previous series that got them into the Stanley Cup. And, you know, for someone, I was 9 or 10 years old when the Rangers won. And to, like, see them almost win again as a, you know, I guess I would have been like 30 at that time was a definite highlight. So many goals have been... Scored here that were very, very thrilling. Do you know the Rangers' Goals song? Do you remember it or
0: no? I could picture the words on the, but I think you're going to have to. I want to give you a couple bars. It
1: goes, oh, 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 Hey, 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 Hey,
0: Hey, Hey, Hey,
1: Hey, Okay, that's about enough. But it was actually written by the uh, music director here at MSG, and I have no idea if he's going to be here, but I was lucky enough to meet him one time as well when I came to a game. So A very big influence on A-Punk. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, when you think about it. Yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about that, but you came up with that part a couple blocks from here uh, in Ultrasound, as we talked about in our iconic first episode of The Road <laughs> Taken with CC and Baya. Yeah, Extremely iconic. But so, yeah, I don't know. It's This is like... I'm curious how I'm going to feel after because I feel like this has been such a big deal for me when we learned we were playing here. And then, you know, maybe there'll be a little melancholy when we walk off that stage. You know, sometimes you want something so bad and then you get it and then there's a little bit of an emptiness inside. So we'll see. But yeah, I'm thinking about a lot. I'm feeling a lot of feelings and I'm really looking forward to playing tonight. So that's kind of all I have to say about it. Yeah, I
0: think one of the big things for me tonight in particular is that we were lucky enough to be able to sell the seats tonight, 360, mm-hmm. uh, which as you, my guess, have to do with the degrees in a circle <laughs> 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 or any sort of round shape. Thank you for that. was a great explainer. Uh, sometimes when you, when you're playing in a, an arena or a circular thing, you'd sell this only the seats that go up to this side of the stage, mm-hmm. which is 270 or yeah, or yeah. somewhere in there. But because I, we thought that enough people wanted to see us, we were able to sell the seats behind the stage, which is a very kind of a different experience. We'd, we'd, Tried it out in Boston the other night. It was uh, fun. A much a smaller arena, but still having some people behind me, which wasn't that different in my experience of performing, mm-hmm. except that I was in a way that I've never been before. Was just kind of like, not nervous necessarily, yeah. but curious about how my back sweat patterns were coming out oh, on nice. my shirt. Were
1: you concerned about your crack being revealed? A little bit. I would have been if I were I sitting actually, down playing I drums. I bought a
0: shirt yesterday for the show today yeah. that actually right. has a little bit of a nice extension in the back. So I don't have Untuck to worry it? about that. Uh, at the Untucket store? No, it's actually, it's like a bike, it's like a bike jersey. That okay. has sort of like I bet dips it looks great. A extra. Um, but the 360 thing is meaningful to me because I saw, I've seen a few performances of the legendary band Fish here in this, in this mm-hmm. building, including their big return from their first hiatus on New Year's 2002. And uh, yeah, I don't know, just the idea of playing this room at all, but then sort of being able to play it and the 360 formation is, um, it's a beautiful we're, we're saying We're saying this a lot, but it's, it's very exciting. It's very
1: exciting. Well, you guys should be excited to hear our conversation with Winston Marshall. Uh, Mumford & Sons are on tour right now behind their fantastic fourth record, Delta. I actually just saw them in Los Angeles before this tour started. We saw them. I was there, bro.
0: Oh, yeah, you were. <laughs>
1: <laughs> who was there with you? Tell me everybody who was at the show. With
0: you. I only remember my wife being there. Were you there?
1: I w- it was three people. It was me, <laughs> you, and your wife. But, you know, you can edit me out of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I just I don't remember you being there. But, um... <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we saw... We <laughs> saw Mumford & Sons play the Bank of California Stadium, which is actually the first stadium show I've seen in a, a long time. It was sick. And they they crushed it, as I'm sure they crushed it here at MSG last fall.
1: Yep. And also, be sure to check out uh, Winston's album he made with HVOB, Winston Marshall and HVOB Silk. It is also fantastic. And now,
0: the world premiere of the Road Taken's Conversation with Winston Marshall.
1: So here we are. We're in CNC Music Factory. This is the first time we're interviewing someone in CNC Music Factory. And the person that we're honored to be talking to is none other than Winston from Mumford and & Sons and also a great collaboration EP with the uh, Austrian Deep House. Do they consider themselves Deep House
2: or do they consider themselves techno? Techno, they wouldn't say Deep House, but uh, they also wouldn't... Because it's... Yeah, you know, we'll get there. We we'll can get, get there, there. <laughs> but so also he,
1: he released an incredible collaborative album with uh Austrian electronic group called HVOB. It was HVOB and Winston Marshall was the stage name. It's great. And... uh yeah, he's here with us today, blessing
0: us with his presence. Did you do any shows with that project or any, like, performances?
2: Yeah, did about a year tour. Oh, wow. And it was really fun because, obviously, with Mumford, we've been about 10 years. I, we've done the rock circuit, the festival mm-hmm. thing, and this this was playing dance venues at three in the morning when everyone's off their tits, which is awesome to play into people off their tits because they think everything's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not great. A very for- yeah. forgiving, yeah. very ready to... exactly. Um, yeah, so it was a very different world for me.
1: I would imagine, yeah. I mean, I, when I was touring on solo stuff, playing, and I didn't get to play to enough druggy crowds, but when I was blessed with the opportunity to play for a druggy crowd, it was so much fun. I did. Did you do this one ever called Where the Wild Things Are in Netherlands? No. It's just in the woods, and it was like, I don't know, 1,500 people, a lot on ecstasy, it seemed. How I mean, many, I'm not, how
0: many of them were, was it off their tits or on their
1: tits? Off their tits. Off their tits. How A many? lot. A lot. And yeah. it just went off. And maybe this is a good place to start. But yeah, did it feel like you changed as a musician, like touring with an electronic group? Did it broaden your horizon? Like, oh, what, def- was that, what was yeah. the
2: process? You know, what was that like for you? Firstly, I was doing lead vocals, which I haven't yeah. really done a lot of since I was a teenager, really. Yeah. I was doing more of then. So that was, that was fun and really challenging. I really relished that. Another yeah. thing which we are doing, which we've always been very nervous about at Mumford, is playing to track. And it wasn't exactly track as much as click, which we're now doing a little bit yeah. with Mumford. But that's something we were nervous about because there's some sort of concept in, uh, I don't know what you guys do if you do that, but there's yeah. concepts in your head that you're like stuck somewhere and you can't go off piece. But actually, yeah. I found it very liberating once I got into it and because you're not that stuck. And the way yeah. that HVOB do it is they're really playing it, and sometimes the songs are four minutes longer than the night before or something like that.
1: To bring it back what you're saying about singing, I remember when we were hanging in London and I, I played you, you're one of the first people I played my first record to, and you told me that you didn't like your voice and that your voice wasn't good. I just remember the first time I heard that release, I was so psyched that you were singing on a record because I think your voice is really, really nice and it sounds really good in that context. So I just, yeah, I mean, that was a huge journey for me making solo music, but and it's so cool that you were doing that. Just wanted to really likewise. oh, say Thank that. you.
2: And how long were you singing? Were you singing? Took me forever. Up? Was it really?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, like growing up, I did. I mean, same as you. Like, and then like getting it right on my first record was the hardest thing for
2: that record, definitely. When yeah. you've not sung before, there's a like hundred different ways you could sing. Totally. You could go like Bee Gees style falsetto yeah, yeah. on everything, or you could just talk your way through things, or you could belt it. And then you start, You want to be able to move around a little bit. Yeah. But even just working out what the starting point is. Totally. I guess most people do that when they're quite young. Maybe I did it. When
1: you were playing these sets at like 3 a.m., were you just flying to each city? Like, how
2: were you doing that tour? I mean, those guys, we never got this crazy whilst I was with them, but they'll do long-haul flights every day. They'll do like Hong Kong, and then the next day Singapore, and the next day Sydney. And then there was one tour they did, and I, I wasn't on this one. I think they did something like four continents in a weekend. I think they did New Delhi... And then <laughs> Stockholm and then to Be- Beirut, Cairo or something like that. It was something absolutely back and forth in four days. And they're just doing that because, and yeah. they, they play weekends way more because it's not until the yeah, summer. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. So it's all weekend. It's like, yeah, I guess Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's not a
0: bad pace of life though. You're chilling at home, making music or doing yeah. family stuff, whatever it is. And then
2: Mate, a long haul fly every day. No, I'm you saying, saying the, kidding, week- <laughs> sorry, the weekend aspect.
0: The weekend aspect, I'm saying.
2: The weekend aspect. Yeah. Yeah, we'd have that in the summer.
0: Yeah. Kind of. That is the nice thing about
1: living in Europe, is like, you can just, during the summer festivals, you take your flight and then you're home during the week. With the band, we've never been blessed with the opportunity to tour like that. Like, if you go to Europe in the summer, you're not going home to Los Angeles every
0: Monday. You know what I mean? We're heading up Utrecht in the midweeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was a beautiful city.
1: Yeah, I loved it.
2: Very beautiful city. Yeah.
0: In those performances, as the lead singer... Did you have an instrument in front of you? Were you just a mic stand? Did you take the mic off? What was your approach to
2: the space and the different role? Uh, I was playing guitar and singing with a mic stand. and But it was also Anna in the group is singing as well. Her voice is exceptional. One thing, like I discovered electronic music pretty late. I think I liked it when I was a kid, but then got sidetracked with yeah. various things. And I discovered them late and was kind of getting into like techno and stuff and why they stood out was because some of their songs are like five, six minutes before any vocals come in, and
0: yeah, then it yeah. comes
2: out, and and she's got this really soulful. It's almost like the softness of like um the National or something when he sings like it's really like low key, and I found it really moving and like the combination of of those things. So I was actually quite inspired in finding my own voice within that yeah. by her, and um, yeah. Did you find yourself because when I did some
0: solo term playing guitar, I there were a few like ticks that I sort of found, I realized like, oh wait, Ezra does this. Yeah. Because I've seen him, you know, being the drummer, I've seen him perform mm. thousands. No, thousand, Sure, thousands. Must have been. Mm, pushing a thousand. Pushing a thousand. All right, that's the charitable way of saying it. <laughs> were you singing? <laughs> uh, I was singing in, in "Dams of the West, yeah. And there were a couple of times, like there was, I don't, you probably know this, I was like saying something and like pointing and I had the mm-hmm. pick between these two fingers. And I was like, one time I just sort of like caught the side of mine. I was like, oh Wait. I know where this, I know where this comes <laughs> from. Oops. So I'm curious, was there no, any, that's totally true. Was there anything, you well, know, because totally, you've I seen got Marcus, obviously. I massive
2: respect for Marcus doing, because how hard it is, it, all eyes are on you. It's kind of easy being the banjo player because you just sit back and you don't have to do I'd that. I'd the drummer, bro.
0: It's a tough gig. It's a tough gig.
2: One early show with them was, and I was still like, so yeah, not only are you finding your voice, you're finding out like, what are your show moves yep. or what oh, are your yeah. and there was one bit and it was to do. that kind of worked with the lyrics but for some reason I like clicked my fingers nice. and like did a thing and I walked off stage my wife was there and she was like never click your fingers Ooh. on stage again Ooh. oh my god <laughs> that, you, it's like not cool <laughs> I don't know apparently wow apparently that's I, not a thing to do you don't click your fingers you click your fingers I, when I walk all the
1: time, I'm fucking... <laughs> oh, he's a snap in life. In sna- I do. No, 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 He is a snapper. I'm a snap machine, and like a million times when we've been on tour, I can't... It was like either CT I was like, I fucking hear you in the hall of the hotel snapping your fingers. That's how I know you're walking
0: around. <laughs> Got the music in me. Well, I think your two hands are generally taken, so you're not really an onstage snapper. Per no. <laughs> no. Although I, I don't would know. have to, You know what? I, I,
1: I want to see the snap and yeah. evaluate it. I'm actually really curious That, didn't, that story didn't end
0: the way I thought you were going to say this is the moment where you found the snap was like a move. was like, oh, I'm coming <laughs> yeah, into my own. No, and then I, I didn't realize I was about to get shut down so quickly. Yeah. It got shut down. And then I... I, I
2: <laughs> <laughs> but what moves did you, did you land
0: on? I was more confused as what to do with my bottom half because there was not a lot of pedal work or mm. stuff. And also for me personally, having been used to sitting performing like i didn't have any sort of things that i was used to doing that i could sort of transmogrify or something so I, I, I sort of like came like i feel like i started just kind of like stumbling around i never quite jumped jumping felt like too strong didn't feel like it really fit but i feel like there was definitely emotion sort of like backing up trying to interact with with the other people on stage that sort of stuff but
2: well, why is jumping too far Jumping's tough
0: because, I, at least from playing in pop-punk
1: bands when I was a teenager, there's like a real pop-punk connotation, particularly if you bend your knees
2: while you're mid-air. And, and you're, good, very, and you, yeah, you're bringing your guitar to the metal, side. Though. That's quite Tom Morello in my mind. I think, That's very, it's either Newfound Glory or it's Rage Against the Machine. Do you ever jump? I jump with Mumford. Yeah, yeah, I was curious. I jumped more when I was younger. But I think when British people jump, it,
1: there's not that pop-punk, that American pop-punk stink on it. British people don't jump. But when they do... But you're a British person who jumps. I think I, if you jumped, I would not. I would not think of the rich cultural history of pop punk. And again, I I love pop punk. I've actually been listening to a lot of it, like revisiting a lot of my favorites. I think don't team. let
0: this don't let this discussion be in any way. It's not an indictment of pop no, punk as a genre. Both,
1: There's some great, great yeah. like artists I'm a and big songs. Pop punk guy. Yeah, but, but, that but my, I guess but, yeah. My my point is more like when I jump visually, because when I would jump when I was 16 on stage, it would be some real pop punk shit. I really try to avoid now those more connotations. Mature. Now that I'm more mature turning 34 gentlemen. But even when the band <laughs> was starting, for me, like, I was, like, so afraid that my pop punk past would come out when the band first started touring that, like... I don't remember that. I just, you I wouldn't was, even
0: like, say the name of your high school band I was us.
1: scared. Now, I, now it's fine. Yeah. But now I don't give a fuck. But, like, I was so scared. I, I don't know. So that's where I, I have whatever issues that I have with jumping on stage.
0: You've definitely got a dance.
2: Oh, yeah. There's a bio. Oh, do you, yeah. Have you got a name for it? No.
0: I feel like it's never been named properly. I, I can tell you like this. And I've seen solo shows. I I, I don't know them quite, obviously, quite yeah. as well. But there are a few Vampire Weekend songs where like, I, I think there's variations on it. But you know, <laughs> you know that there are certain songs where it's, he's going to, he's going to bring guys it. Gonna go ham. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> I saw a great one of your shows. I think it's the only sh- oh, solo. show yeah, yeah, I saw yeah. a bio in um, in New York. Yeah, yeah, Down, at um, South Street Seaport. That was fun. And you had your suit, two piece suit on. I did. I think Black dress Wayfarers, to, something dress like that. is for success. Yeah. That's never, a, never cool not. guy.
0: A uh, never not suit, right? Always
1: a blazer, at least. Oh, okay. Always a blazer. That was the one rule of the live experience.
0: You went from no t shirts early Vampire weekend to always blazer. Yeah. yeah. Early bed. That was the
1: rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Was yeah. that a, a rule or? Just well, yeah, George. I mean, it was just me and, and my dear friend George Hume playing guitar, and we would do it. There was one we played a festival in San Diego where we were going on at two, and I believe it was like 105 degrees. And I said to George, "This time you cannot wear a suit. It's okay. I don't want to get oh, you, sued you, you for loosened. workman's comp or whatever because he had a stroke because he was wearing a blazer. But I wore a <laughs> blazer at the I, I did, I did. But yeah, so like, I guess I'm also curious what it's like when you're. A British musician touring America for the first time. Like, how? What was that like? When? When did you first like really do like a coast to coast tour? You guys
2: with Mumford. Our first tour was in a bus. We we, (laughs) yeah, but but not because we could sell any tickets, Mm -hmm. but because there was a joint headline tour between Laura Marling and Johnny Flynn. Okay, and two of us, Ted and Marcus, were in Laura's band. Right. Okay. I and remember we this now. Yeah. were like, well, we'll be support. We'll be th- first on. And me and Ben slept in the back room for a month of those buses. Very kind of them to let, because they both had full bands. So to have, you know, those buses get full anyway. To totally. All yeah. of that plus in the little bit of space you get. At, yeah. Like, so you, you took over the back lounge? I took over the back lounge. Nice. And that, so we, we cable never back the there? Do we have cable? I'm sure we had cable. <laughs>
0: what, were you, what were you guys watching on that first tour? Do you, if you remember anything. I cannot
2: remember. 10 years ago now. Right. I cannot remember. Were you guys in, in a spitter van going around? The f- By the way, just... before that, we weren't touring the UK straight out of the bat. No, no, no. We, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. we started touring like...
0: What is like the first vehicle? We sort of had a side one, of like a, a minivan, a Honda Odyssey. But I think most people think of touring and early touring. It's like a 15 passenger Ford Econoline. Is what is like the first touring vehicle that's... Classically accepted. Is it the sp- Splitter? Splitter, does a Splitter. Yeah, exactly.
2: But were you guys doing cross-country? We start- did
0: two full national ones in the Odyssey. A minivan, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the aforementioned Honda Odyssey yeah, minivan. Yeah.
2: And how close to this, the start of the band was that? That would have
1: been... Like two and a half years after we formed, because we were still... or No, a year, year and a half. Because you were yeah, at
2: university. Yeah, so.
1: we, were, we were still at university. But um, we would hear stories when we first started touring about like... Because growing up in America, you're kind of used to just like sitting in the car while your parents drive for like, you know, four hours or whatever, or take road trips and stuff like that's that. That's not a long trip. And just here. Yeah, that's not a long trip here. Yeah. Whereas England... You're in, you're, you're in a different country. Yeah, huh? yeah, 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 exactly. So like, we would just hear stories about like, British bands coming across to America for the first time and being in the vans and basically losing their minds because they were not used to having so much dead time, <laughs> especially in, a car. in the
0: pre-smartphone era. Just, just oh, absolutely, wow, yeah, a
1: like, like complete emotional breakdowns. But I guess you, you were lucky this, to not have to be. I mean, that is. Super I have a nice. very
2: vivid memory of, and this might make me sound very boring. I'm sure it will, but America, it's so. The, even the vistas are so expansive and massive. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like looking at a screen or into a fire that you could look out the window for hours and end and just be amazed by it. Even if there was sort of nothing there, it's so expansive and big. There's one road from, oh no, coming into Denver. If you're coming mm-hmm. from the east, you're heading west and you can see the Rockies for yeah. about two hours right, 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 yeah, right yeah. in front of you and they don't change size. They're just there you know you're bloody miles away from them. You can just look at them. For For me, that that was breathtaking. Like, yeah. England's not like that. Everything's right. very modest and small by
0: comparison. Well, to back you and, up on that, even me being from America, but from New Jersey, a very specific part of the country, is that I had a very similar experience, I would say. Because that was the first time I'd seen a lot of parts of the country, the van touring. And there's one legendary story <laughs> where uh, the first time we really drove the... Austin to El Paso and on to New Mexico, that Route 10, the sort of the long stretch.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I didn't know where you're going with this. Now I you, do. You know
0: where I'm going. Um, <laughs> it's like a, like a solid 10 hours, the sort of like shrubby desert sort of thing uh, with a very little change of, of atmosphere. And we sort of finally got to the end of that, like entering El Paso. And Chris was in the passenger seat. I was driving, and I just—I sort of, <laughs> I looked at him and goes, "Dude, can you imagine riding a horse across all that?" <laughs> and that
1: it just like it cracked me up because it was just so earnest. I mean, it's like beautiful, but
0: like it was very earnest for that and, tour. And like, you're just it, confused. You're like, "Wait, that's what you're thinking about the last three hours?"
2: <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, man, what are you thinking?" About? <laughs> No, but that but that's great because that's exactly what happens when you're looking at and from there into the Grand Canyon. It's amazing what you you think for sure what's happened before, and you can stare at nothing for hours because there's so much going on there. It's not just the desert; it's also what's happened in that desert over time. How the first people went across that desert. There's so many things it represents that you can look at it. Constantly, you'll see something new, or you'll think about it differently. It's Dude, we gotta, we gotta hop in a
0: van. We gotta, we gotta drive around. I yeah, feel gotta, like gotta we like a road <laughs> trip. here. Yeah, totally. It sounds very boring. Just all of us sitting in silence. <laughs> <Just imagine. laughs> no, we'd both, we'd, we'd both been our own worlds, but then we kind of like we'd understand. We'd like, yeah, no, I feel you. I feel you. Not this sort of cynicism... uh,
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) City slicker (laughs) over here.
0: That reminds me, was that sort of one of the impulses or that feeling that that led you to the tour
2: on the train? The train uh, wasn't our idea. It was the idea of Edward Sharp and Magnetic Zeros and their team. Okay. And I don't remember exactly how we... I think we first met them at Sasquatch Festival Mm -hmm. in uh, Washington State. And I don't know how we became friends, but just, you know, classic... Yeah, meeting bands and seeing them off more and more often and you become friends and they had this great idea well fucking terrible idea but it turned out to be great yeah a nightmare for all the logistics <laughs> all the logistic management okay, yeah. like bloody nightmare <laughs> actually we there was a film made about it and, and yeah, yeah. it's a good film and i'm very proud of it i think but the is the film one, accurate to your experience of the show no not at all accurate but yeah. It's not necessarily inaccurate. I just realized there were, I mean, I think there was 80 people on the train. So that's 80 different experiences and they were all different experiences. And people were sleeping at different hours and I was very much not on the normal hour sleeping thing. But the untold story is all the crew and management were like, fuck being on the train. The next gig's not going to happen if we're on the train. We've got to get there and set up because the train was really slow and then it would stop. Because someone wouldn't let us through some line. Oh, like the track issues. Yeah, the track issues, something like that. How
1: long was this tour? And what year was it? It was a a
2: year. It was a (laughs) a year long. Oh, a year on the train. (laughs) You
1: didn't leave the train for a year.
2: It was a week in 2009. Okay. Yeah. Or no, 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 no. 2011.
1: Okay.
2: It might have been 2009. Or 10. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Sorry, it, was, it was a one one, of, looked,
0: those
2: one of those years you <laughs> spent on a train
1: yeah. but so so it was a week-long tour on the train but wait so so like midway through the tour management was like we got to get off this fucking train
0: or did they say that from the start like they were gonna unload put the gear in trucks the trucks would go
2: well i don't know the full story but they i think it was maybe a gig or two in it was like crap we've got to get from we were in started in san francisco we've got to get to new Orleans. We're gonna have to pull some gigs, otherwise. Oh, oh. and I, actually, so why why I mention that is because for me, that's that's an amazing story to tell. Like the, you guys know that the crew and engineers, I think, are the unsung heroes of the music industry, of course, of course. And it's miracle work sometimes. Certainly was on that tour mm-hmm. that they can pull that pull that off. And I personally find that to be the most interesting story. How can a bunch of like lunatic musicians come up with this awesome but bizarre tour? and expect it to happen and for these people to actually make that happen. To figure out yeah. those And details. I wish it had been documented but it also couldn't have been documented. But And that's no slight on the film... Uh, no, so, no, I don't. I don't. I don't it is think. You're it is, but that's just that. an untold, just an untold story that I don't know who could tell it. but We'd have to ask the crew to tell that it. That would be. I, I mean, it
0: seems like the parties involved. Might not want to recreate that. But that sounds like <laughs> <Yeah. but> <laughs> that,
2: <laughs> quite a few people quit. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: but that sounds like that sounds like a, a fascinating, different version of it. Is sort of that tour from a crew's perspective.
2: Yeah. Isn't there a TV show or something like called the comedy or? There was a show doing... called
0: Roadies that lasted for one season.
2: One well. Season.
1: For one thing, roadie is considered a derogatory term in at the, the industry. At the same age. and these are engineers. These are, you know, technicians. Uh, so our friends who we've toured with consider it a blight on the industry, but I have not seen it. I can't
0: weigh in definitively well, I think myself one,
1: and it didn't last more than a season. I
0: think of one tour manager who, Charmaine Nameless, who, when he would want to like, generally speaking, jokingly, like just kind of like roll his eyes at something. He's like, fucking roadies if something wasn't going right or whatever. I think never actually denigrating their work or their professionalism. You know,
1: I came up with a concept when I was working on my solo records called Engineer Friday. No one else has adopted it yet in the industry.
0: Did you blast it out? Did you promote it? I've
1: been telling some people about it, but I've been telling more engineers to tell their bosses. But basically, so an engineer is someone that is in the studio with the musician. They're setting up the microphones. They're comping takes. They're like sifting through Oceans of information to make a record and they are the unsung heroes of every record, but their job is pretty excruciating They're staring at a computer screen for, you know, 12 hours a day. They're moving transients around, you know music. It's cool, right? It's real musical, but like there's a lot of lifeless technical work in it. Um, and so engineer Friday is something I came up with where every Friday you let your engineer pick where he wants to go to lunch and you treat him to the lunch of his choosing So his job doesn't change he's, he's still doing He just gets
2: a pimp lunch that's on such Friday a, of a his small s- reward Oh it's almost you know so what? small you know it's what? offensive No 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 hey, <laughs> they appreciate hey buddy. <laughs>
1: hey buddy guess what They appreciate You want to taco, taco? you want, Friday, you want tacos? What do you no, want no, They Burgos, appreciate you choose today no, Listen my <laughs> Every engineer I choose John, my the who I worked with, he a tear will start coming to his eye when he describes the beauty of Engineer Friday. <laughs> Try it. Just, well, maybe, <laughs> seeding, maybe seeding
0: the power in this aspect. Say, listen, man, like, wherever you want, my treat.
1: Engineer
2: Friday that only speaks for how <laughs> tyrannical his previous oh, employers wow. or artists mm. were that he worked mm. with. But we got to get him on the, the podcast. T- yeah. We had Friday Night Lads making our new album every, what? every Friday. Yeah. I like the sound of this. I'm not sure where it's going, but I'm into it. Friday night, lads. We would invite all our friends to the studio for dinner, and then onwards, and we'd party, and it was That's great. Nice. And we carry on making music. That's so you nice. you
0: do some takes and do some,
2: and still, and whatever booze, you were, and we'd eat and we'd feast and we'd go long into the night, and it was absolutely fantastic. That, and including like a great the engineers,
1: because that sounds like a little bit like a thing called Engineer Friday, just a little <laughs> bit on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> Friday Night
0: Lads has a way better ring oh, it better than, than Engineer, engineer Friday,
1: Friday? <laughs> I don't yeah I tend not to worry I, I guess now that we have the studio I'll work more at night but yeah tend not to work through the night but that does sound sick yeah Friday no, I Night Lads it. yeah Friday Night Lads no is better than Engineer well, especially Friday especially because the, stu- the
0: studio in an engineer sense and in a lot of senses can be very repetitive or, or you know a lot of dry stuff that that seems like that's a, a great way to bring in some atmosphere some social like energy and also to kind of get you out of your own head mm-hmm. or respective heads, I guess.
2: And they can bring their boyfriends, girlfriends down. So, Love that, it. Because they're great. not seeing them. And they're presumably... So what, what, what on earth is yeah. my partner doing away from me all the right. time? And they can actually see and hear. That's
1: awesome. I think, I think that's a nice touch. It's incredible. That's great. It. Was that, is it the first time you guys have done that?
2: It is the first time we've done that. Partly because we were in a studio where... It was owned by Paul Atworth, who, who yeah, was yeah. producing it, and he has a very open-door policy. He's like, come, in, come, come in. on in. and that's It's kind of a party room anyway. So, yeah, that's what we're doing. It. If I can ask, how big is your crew now when you guys tour? That's a good question. Can you give <laughs> an is, estimate? Well, I <laughs> we mean, might have to we, edit this bit. <laughs> no, no, of course. So we can edit. We
0: have a relative <laughs> idea. We have
1: people who come on tours that come with the audio company, and then when we travel and tour, there's, what, two semis these days? Like, three? I, I don't know the name of the driver of the semi. I, I can't. For R- us, it's what like maybe like twenty two people when we something tour something
0: like that. At, What's a semi? A semi is the like a flatbed truck, the, like the big the, truck, the truck with all with the, the gear in it that you used to see on those wide open American roads. <laughs> <I hear you. laughs> Lori, <laughs> yeah, Lori, exactly, a lorry. A lorry. Okay, fantastic, the classic one. It's a Lori. Yeah, it's a lorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I feel like we when we left off, and we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're sort of doing this before we really get going. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were at two buses. Yeah, two buses. Yeah, two buses and two semis is where we. Left finished off. off.
2: How, that's mental. That's very small for a big band. I think. How the hell were you doing that? <laughs> that's a great tour manager or terrible tour manager. <laughs> no, we made it. Yeah.
0: No, I think so all the classically because it was only four people.
2: I think because the live
0: show had had sprung out of like the minivan days that it had grown and like a lot of new inputs and like obviously new things. But the core of it was essentially drum set. Yeah, yeah. You know, bass, keys, guitar. And guitar vocals, um, and you know, I get you know, I think probably most of the space in those trucks is like lights and, yeah, and the yeah. production, the the show aspect. But I feel like that will be different
2: as we. Wait, how many come buses do you have? Hell of a lot more than two. Yeah, we have two just for musicians, right? we because we have four in the band, and then touring with. Well, last time it was four musicians. I think we're going to be up to five, maybe six. Yeah. Musos oh, wow. on stage, so that's another bus. And then I don't know. I yeah, don't yeah. know quite a few for crew. Right. I think we we're I think we we're thirty, thirty-five people, yeah. not including drivers, something right. like that. Right. Yeah. So that's Wild. Like, yeah. yeah. I don't know how you did it in two buses. How many crew have you got? Have you got any guitar techs? We, we <laughs> we had, doing all you know what? We we we, we
1: <laughs> there was a push to have just tell three they,
0: techs and we pushed for two techs. We pushed down to two. Because at that point, I, the drums didn't need much teching. It was sort of like... You or, take
2: your own drums? No,
0: but I think <laughs> once, but like in the middle of the show, I'm saying, like right. I wasn't for the setup of our good friend, Marty, was taking care of it. But like during the show, there wasn't like changes or a lot of stuff, you know, like the guitars or, or the or the frontline guys had not a lot of technical difficulties on on that show. I think, you know, we made it. Depends I mean, on the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we had,
1: there were a couple, but...
0: Do you do you have anything frugal. that sticks out to you of, of not in like terms of whose fault or something, but... Was there any like particularly notorious technical difficulty or or something that happened that really threw you guys off?
2: Very constantly that's happening. <laughs> okay. And it is very stressful, but I don't know if most bands stick to one instrument throughout the set, but pretty much all of us except for maybe Ben on keyboards are changing instrument every, pretty much every, every time. Tune. Right, yeah. And so there's so much room for error, which I think makes for quite a good show. The, the, the fact that it could all go wrong and often does go wrong um, makes things quite exciting. We were talking about this a little bit before yeah. and like, how worth rehearsing is it. The, the older we've got as a band, we definitely are rehearsing way more than we did. We didn't rehearse at all for about yeah. five years. And now we're doing it a lot and yet still so much can go wrong. I don't know, and, and but is it good, is it exciting being on the edge there where, where it can go wrong because everyone's a bit nervous, which is that everyone's concentrating? Well, I think that's part of the draw of a
0: live musical thing is obviously people are performing and you're, you're, the audience is connecting with either songs they like or songs they're trying to experience for the first time or trying to discover or something. But I, I find those little things that make you see someone think on their feet. I, I'm talking as an audience member here. When you see someone like figuring something out, is like very interesting in a lot of ways brings me in more mm-hmm. as opposed to and i'm not <laughs> advocating mistakes and i don't certainly do this on purpose <laughs> but um but you know like when like when you see someone figuring something out and like feels like being a musician as opposed to just like hitting the marks mm-hmm. in, in a way, that has always drawn me in a lot as an audience member and so yeah, I feel like again, not like something so big where someone's show was ruined that they spent money on that's obviously not what anyone wants,
2: but there is a certain edge a certain Contemporaneousness right. to it. A certain amount of it is very charming. You don't want your hero... I'm not in any way saying Mumford and Sons are heroes or Vampire Weekend are heroes, apart from, you my hero. But, <laughs> but, when you know, there's we all grew up going to gigs and they were yeah. our heroes, those of guys course, on stage, which is why we're doing it now because we wanted to be like them. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of infallible to you. So when you see them fuck up, then you can relate to them. It's a bit like football players or... I was talking about Conor McGregor the other day, and someone's like, oh, I really don't like Conor McGregor. He's so arrogant, and he's doing this, and, and he's beat up that guy in a, in a bar, and I'm like, well, it's precisely because he did that, that I like him. Not because I think it's okay to beat people up, but because he is a flawed a
0: hero. Despite being so huge yeah, yeah. and such an image yeah, brand. If
2: if yeah. Any of these people who are perfect, and they're on, up there on their pedestals, I can't relate to that. Fuck that! I want someone who got these flaws, and so you see that on stage. It's when they fuck. if it's you don't want it to be such a disaster that right. the fucking show falls apart. But <laughs> um, you know, forgetting that I don't. know. This is a great excuse for me to not have to rehearse as much, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
0: charming. You're just trying to charm. Or <laughs> I feel like often, especially historically, Vampire Weekend shows. It's like a string breaks. Like the big one. I don't. Know, I don't think we've talked about this, but like when we were playing Fuji Rock, dropping that. A punk lick, you know how it is, um, and and Ezra and and like the str- the string broke like very soon into the song, and that song in particular is was he needs those strings, so like he kind of stopped, and I remember being <laughs> I remember being like very engaged and kind of like we we all kind of stopped, but I kept like the kick drum going, the tech came out, got the new guitar, and then you know dropped the lick again, um, and then proceeded to play without incident, like just little moments like that. Yeah. I, I find I probably remember that instant more than most of that. Do you show.
1: remember the time? your kick drum broke during Horchata and then you hulked out?
0: Uh, was that at T5?
1: No, it was at the Dallas House of Blues. <laughs> uh, I, I sort of... Did, I, I, you like, like hulked out. You started like screaming because your kick drum broke. Drumming <laughs> well, so, is so physical that like I, your adrenaline must be like crazy during the show. I was essentially just, like, hulking out for 90 like, minutes. You of, of pop. Yeah.
0: But you really hulked out. I remember I remember my kick drum breaking at T5. Okay. And I remember the my first reaction was to like, like, whatever, the chain between the, the beater and the, the pedal. And I was like, oh, fuck this. And I just remember, like, threw it forward. Just sort of, essentially yeah. to show that, like, yeah. this is not, I am blameless. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, this yeah, yeah. this happened. I am very sorry that that's Oxford like Kama move. has been derailed. And, I, and then as soon as I threw it, I was like, is that going to, like, chink the stage? Or, like, I, was, I didn't throw it at anybody. Um, but what, so I was just kind of yelling, like.
1: No, I think you did the same thing. In, okay, the so I, that's, move. That's, that's my move. That's you, my move. You hulked out <laughs> through the. Broken. Did we start it over?
0: I I, I, don't I remember. can't remember
1: what we did. I just remember you hulking out. Was it an, was it a charming Hulk or was it a <laughs> it was
0: scary dude?
2: It was, it a, was scary. Because
0: <laughs> so I feel like there's
1: different levels of hulking out that could. Yeah. <laughs> it was
2: charming to see Bio scared. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> I think it's a move that when things are going wrong, you you want people to make sure that they know it's not your fault. So right,
0: you right, yeah, exaggerate yeah. that. Although if, I'd, if I was a more subtle kick pedal artist, maybe those pedals wouldn't have broken. So probably at some level it was my fault anyways.
2: <laughs> I remember going to the first ever Vampire Weekend show in London. You did? You never told me this. I was at the Borderline. You were? I was there. Oh, wow. And I oh remember being completely in awe of you. And wow. I think I already was pretty into the music, but you sort of blew in from this other world. You were You were massive. I don't know, in our heads, you were massive, I guess maybe you know that trip
1: in my memory, I just remember hearing Mansard Roof on Radio One, and that was like the first time we heard our music on like big radio station while we were driving, and that definitely was very special it
0: felt it felt like we something was happening at that point. we couldn't have said exactly what it was, but like things were clicking into place, although that was right after the I feel like we started that tour in Manchester, we played the Roundhouse. Is, yes. Which is in Manchester, not the one in London. So different size. There was almost no one there, and I remember our booking agent. This is this is a very distinct memory of mine. As our booking, our European UK booking agent said to us, he's like, he took us out to dinner, at maybe then or some something right after the show. He's like, so don't worry. Like ten years from now, do you know how many people are going to say that they were at this show? <laughs> yeah. And I think he also, I, mean. I think he slipped in that he said the same thing to Kurt Cobain. Cause he also booked Nirvana, so I was like, "All right, hey, if if, if Russell says it, all right." <laughs> Wait, that's that's kind of I remember the board, the borderline had like a sort of like a was it a Mexican theme or like a Tex-Mex theme? It, very much so, yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. Wow, it, there was like
2: it's the country place to play. It's where the oh, f- rootsy folk. Oh, okay. Huh. Country guys Interesting. play. So it's got wood <laughs> panels. So makes
0: sense for the dubs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Sorry, keep telling the story because this is kind of fascinating for us, yeah, actually. This to hear. Is...
2: Well, I think I got quite drunk and it was also a very listeny crowd. it was probably quite a lot of industry if it was your yeah, first on yeah, the show. And so it it wasn't like a sweaty, mm-hmm. hustly, bustly. Although I think I went to one soon after when you played the mean fiddler, or I think it it might have been called Astoria 2. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we did that right before it closed. Yeah, Yes, you did. Club night. That was like steaming.
1: That went off. That was like right after the record came yeah. out, I think. Yeah, that, it went off at that one, it I couldn't remember. couldn't
2: have been that far long after. Yeah,
1: the borderline was November and then the January was the Astoria. January. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But I, I remember jumping up and down at the borderline and I think annoying people around me, but absolutely loving it. There's a guy called King Charles supporting you. Of course, you oh, remember, we King, remember Charles. King Charles very uh, who well. He was an old friend and oh, of course. Someone, yeah, yeah. someone grew up with playing a lot of music. And that's, I guess, that's how came got Seeing him there must have been interesting. Oh, yeah. It was, we were fucking impressed. King Charles' supporting Vampire Weekend. You you guys were like wow. rock stars, proper rock stars. Wow. How things have changed. I know. <laughs> that was just some dweeby podcasters. <laughs> 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 we left that. We left those roles behind us. Yeah. What do you guys, um, presumably, with your musical ambitions, and you've already done your own solo material and other material outside of Vampire Weekend? How ambitious for that stuff are you? How much do you put your eggs in in the Vampire Weekend, the dubs basket, the dubs? Or do you feel like you've got the time and scope to do both or as many different things as possible? Or
1: I think it's always just trying to either serve the song or suit the project. And if there's like a band song, I'm going to try and come up with a bass part. That's the best that I can come up with. And if it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it. If it does, it does with, I mean, I've scored two movies there. You're like very much serving someone else's vision entirely. And I enjoy that. And then with solo stuff, it gets to be entirely my vision. I just kind of view them as different tools. So like, and I, I love them all equally. And, yeah, it's just there's time for everything, you know. I didn't I mean I didn't think I was going to make two solo records since the last Ben record, but that's just kind of the way. It it ends up feeling pretty like organic. I'm never questioning like what should this idea be for, you know. It 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 all
0: I mean, makes like it's sense, cl- it's clear. Yeah, it's wh- like
1: it's it's not it's unspoken almost. You know, just like it it feels natural. It's not something that I end up having to worry about. Like do you find with do you make demos and then you're like, well, should I send this to the band or should I save this if I do another record with HVOB? Like, how how are you finding that?
2: I like to think I'm always writing, but you have more fruitful periods and mm-hmm. other periods. I've generally found it if I try and write for a project in mind, then it won't be a very good end product. But yeah. if I write for myself, whatever it ends up going yeah. to, that it's a better end product. Yeah. What about UCT?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think I was probably last of the game of, of stuff outside the band. My personal opinion is that when, say, the Borderline show or, you know, early days, the musically, but then also, like, in a lot of life ways and just, like, conceptually, like, Vampire Recon was so, in many great ways, like, all-consuming that I, I couldn't have conceived of doing musical stuff outside of it because it was sort of... There was so much energy and so much drive and, you know, I had to conserve my Hulk, Hulk out energy for, <laughs> for the stage. But I think as we've gotten older and I think as the band itself has aged, I think, I don't know, you just get like more of a context, And I mean this more, in a, like, again, sort of like a life sense. You get more of a context of honoring and loving and being in awe in some ways of this thing that you built almost unintentionally or like almost sort of like when we, when Vampire, the early days of Vampire Weekend, like I believed in it so much and I, I thought it was great. Did I know that I would move to LA 14 years later or whatever? No. Or any of the stuff that happened? No, I would have had no idea. And I think that wouldn't have even necessarily like, if you told me you can do this, this and this, I'd be like, fuck yeah. But I would, that wasn't the goal necessarily. So I think that sort of coming to terms with that and, and sort of respecting that, but then also feeling like doing Stuff outside of that are still there's still c t only stuff where you know where that is just as meaningful um to do stuff that 's not just disres- you know isn 't disrespecting or taking away from vampire weekend as a concept or as a band um so that that just for me personally took me a while to get to but I think I am there now and it's and I think I hope that vampire weekend is definitely will be a part of my life for as long as it's a part of anyone 's life but you know that there's also a lot of other things beside it that I, I think make me probably a a better bandmate is having more of these contextual things and, and having these different experiences that feed back into it.
1: I'm curious, like over the course of your just like talking about like a story and Borderline, was there like a moment during your eyes where things started to feel different where it was like For you. No, for you no not about your perception <laughs> of us. No, 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 you starting, started, about, no, 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 no. But I am that. thinking about no, I am <laughs> thinking now about, you know, going to England the first time and and it was very brief, but like the first time we played some shitty shows and then like coming back and just every single different. show being insane. And then coming back again, like the, the May after our first record came out and we were playing suddenly to 1500 people in, in Wolverhampton, a, a city I was not aware of. I had not heard of five years earlier. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm just curious, like for you, cause you do, you, you music is so cool when you get to like get on a plane and go somewhere and play something you've worked so hard. On for other people and and just there are like different stages over the course of like a rise in a band's career I'm just curious what like those kind of like tent poles are in your mind when you think back to like you know the first whatever like two years or whatever of you guys touring
2: right at the beginning we were just taking every gig we could take I'm sure you guys were the same every pub gig every support slot we did every show we never said no to anything and then at some point And it was because all our friends at the time were at university. Mm -hmm. We we realized we could piece together tours of the UK, going to universities and playing to basically our friends, which was really helpful because that was just like a night on the piss for them and they could bring their friends. And pretty quick, we were touring the UK. But after they left university and we weren't playing to our friends anymore and we still were carrying on that momentum and I no longer recognized the people... In the room, that was when it was like, "Wow, this is special." Yeah, and, and that's all quite in quite London, gradually. basically, or like around the UK, around you the UK, say nationwide. Okay. Yeah, nationwide. Right. Um, if I can step back a moment, yeah. CT, yeah. to when you were talking about other projects and other uh, getting your creativity out in other ways, maybe I wanted to ask the question: To what extent does Vampire Weekend form part of your identity as CT? How much do you take that home with you? And that's a difficult it's a That's heavy a, question that is a yeah, heavy question definitely. because on the one hand you've got to take pride in your work and if you don't take pride in your work it's not whether on the other hand you don't want to pride in a sort of or or let let that
0: sort of the more negative ways of that manifesting like take the lead if I think is, is what you're we saying
2: it's a very difficult balance though. yeah
0: I mean for sure and probably me more than most I think more than you mm-hmm. is that like especially I don't know because like the first couple albums I was single not in like a dirtbag sort of way but I did <laughs> I, but I did <laughs> I didn't have I didn't have like a home, you know. I have yeah, my yeah. like boys no, at home, yeah, yeah. but I didn't have like, you know, because Chris has been with his now wife for you know since before the and end. CT
1: has never been a dirtbag. I just really, right
0: the laugh was not because I yes yeah, yeah. um but <laughs> it, I was just thinking more of like a home base, which is very different now that I, I'm married and and have been with my wife through the last touring cycle and stuff. And also I was kind of insane like that first year like we had after like going back and forth Europe and and three months after our first album came out, we had like 10 days off. I was like, fuck it. And my friend and I went to Argentina for eight of them. That was, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, it was a fun trip. And I so I, there was nothing I was, not that I was like running from something, but there was definitely nothing like keeping me home. And obviously, if if you're able, if you're lucky enough to be able to tour like this, that like, you know, let's do it. Let's like, let's see this, see this damn world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I th- I probably got a little bit lost in that sense of like, there was not a lot of separation of church and state in that way. Um, I don't know which is church and which is state, so don't ask. Me, don't, <laughs> don't ask. Don't ask me that question. But I think again, sort of as I aged and as sort of like the band both became bigger, but also somewhat like of its own thing. Like it, it sort of it has its own momentum, and I'm very much a part of it. But also, like you know, I'm not at everything. I'm not. There's just certain things that sort of you don't have control of anymore as you grow and. People take care of things. Probably like in the second album zone, there was a part where I was very confused of like, wait, sort of like used to feel this way. And like, we were just kind of doing this thing and all together. And now it's like, there's less of that. And what does that mean for me? Where, who is this aforementioned CT? So I think my perspective now is very different. Yeah. is where there's a home base. There's like, I think I'm more conscious and try to be more aware of things that I would need that are not necessarily involved with Vampire Weekend. Which has yeah has been has been like a process to get to, but I feel I mean I think as long as it exists you're gonna learn and change and everything kind of is is never fully set. Never I think both. if it if it does get fully set then something is lost. I don't know if, what that is. So I think now that sort of having the home base and, and sort of cultivating the stuff outside of the band makes my presence in the band like even better or like more full as opposed to just like being you know playing this role or something. Mm.
2: How do you feel about it?
0: I, I think it's a huge, huge part of my life.
1: But yeah, it's just a part. You know, like, I find there was probably a period earliest in the band where I was scared shitless of even trying to make my own music. And I would think about it a lot in terms of success because basically in the course of a rise of a band, and we share that, like, when everything is going well and it just keeps going well you don't experience failure for a period of time, right? Like every single show you play is incredible. People go nuts and it's fun, but the idea of trying something and failing suddenly becomes like absolutely horrifying. And for me, the way that like I I worked through that was just by being very active at DJing sort of around the time we were touring our second record and having completely shit gigs and realizing that like failure is not the worst possible thing And failure is a part of life and it shouldn't hold you back. Like fear of failure shouldn't hold you back from doing anything you want to do. So, you know, then I started making EPs of instrumental music, then I started putting my voice on records. And now I feel both like really artistically and creatively completely satisfied. And also like I I feel to a degree fearless as an artist, which I think like I, I just I will be able to make whatever I want to in whatever context I want to. And so to bring it back to the band, the band is like a part of that but it's not my whole world whereas you know when I was 23 years old and uh, not single and I was not single (laughs) and I I would also like to just go on record and say that I'm not a dirtbag as well but uh, I was with my partner that I was in a very long-term relationship with from before the band so like if you, I had if you home, have to
2: say you're not a dirtbag, I feel like no, that might course. mean <laughs> you are a dirtbag. No, no. I'm not a
1: dirtbag. <laughs> just I'm getting ahead. We're not, not ahead. a dirtbag. I just thought that I loved that. When you asked clear. him what the band yeah. means to him, one of his first things he said was, I'm not a dirtbag. <laughs> I was like, no, I know. You meant it as you a know, disclaimer. You I know, you know, I know. <laughs> come on. I know. I know. But, so, but so, so, no, no, point being is that it's like, it's a huge part of me. And in terms of from the way the majority of people who have heard of my name, that is how I am defined. But it's not like... How I define myself, it's not how I think about myself, it's not how I approach what I do. It's like a huge part, but it's not the entirety of who I am, which I think is a healthy way to be. All right.
0: Now it's on on to you. Now it's on you. You You gotta answer your own heavy,
2: heavy question. It's a question that you battle with a lot because you can be touring relentlessly. And then if particularly if you're doing press every day and you're talking about yourself, a bit like right now. (laughs) Um, which in normal life you don't talk about yourself very well no yeah it's it's not normal to do that yeah so that can sort of skew your mind and then you're constantly talking about the projects in the band and then there's some scenarios where you can be at a dinner or something and you're just you're just like anyone else and then because i mean there's no way getting away from sometimes getting away from the band and it's like oh you're so such and such from such Mm -hmm. and such and then people can act differently, uh, yeah. positively or negatively. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had people go like, oh, you're I fucking hate your band. Really? <laughs> and then you can have other people be sycophantic and go, yeah, yeah. And so I feel like quite lucky not being the front man. And I'm sure Marcus would give a more interesting answer than I'm, I'm giving now, because in some ways I don't have to deal with that. Like I'm mm-hmm. not the face of the band. People don't know me, don't know what I look like as much. And
1: Mm-hmm.
2: so it's easier I, I, I think I think I pretty much relate to what both of you have said really in that yeah. I work very hard for this band so I've got to take some pride in it yeah. um, And so, but sometimes you don't know what it you said this earlier you don't know what the success of the band isn't necessarily your own doing or the doing of any individual within the band it's stars aligning a little yeah. bit and so taking too much pride in that it's not going to end well is it because <laughs> you know you'll land yeah. with a thump yeah um,
1: But it's ever evolving. Well, I think this has been an absolutely delightful
0: conversation. Well, I think before I wanna do I wanna share I I actually want to share one story. Because I think I was touched by your borderline story. I didn't know that you had been there and that that was very interesting to hear someone else's perspective on it. Um, but I just wanna say that one of my favorite memories of the modern vampires touring was Chris this? us because he had <laughs> yeah, I, he had a DJ gig I was gig. not there um, I was not there when we played Glastonbury this would have been uh, yeah. thir- 2013 2013 and you know we were kind of Ezra Ross and myself were backstage kind of doing our thing like checking our devices and hanging out and then it's sort of like this social rumbling started rumbling around us of like hey like Mumford is gonna do this like big finale song as maybe you could sing a verse and like maybe you could Play some instrument or something. We could figure something out, and we realized we'd known this before, but we sort of realized we could use this: is that we each had played a different concert instrument growing up in high school and stuff. So someone found me a trombone, (laughs) a pink one, a pink plastic trombone. (laughs) I remember seeing that. Someone found Rostam a flute, I believe, and (laughs) found Ezra a saxophone, and that I think, in a weird way, (laughs) not that I wasn't in you know present for the Vampire Weekend show, but because it wasn't our gig and I, I was able to, it was different and I could sort of take a step back in ways that I just sort of can't when we're playing. I remember thinking, I was like, man, this is pretty fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. looking out in this crowd like, and you guys were sort of playing the last the You last were headlining set. the pyramid mid-stage On which is Sunday, like, Sunday, like the no. last night. Yeah. It's an insane And so like just like all these, thing. you know, at night, but this like crazy sea of people. I'm playing this pink trombone. Uh, and yeah, I just remember, and you guys were very sweet and very, there's a, a warmth on your stage that I found very touching and made me enjoy that set in a way that was like, that I really, you know, sort of made me think about it and sticks with me. Although I will, I will say that there is footage of this that exists on YouTube. Although I think if you watch it closely, our first notes as a horn section are there. And I think whoever was doing the sound... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we performed well I, I'm not <laughs> saying our performance was bad but no I, one will ever know but yeah it's yeah, yeah. true but I do I do kind of when I watched when I was able to see it back whenever I saw it back I was like oh they kind of they muted us there that's alright that's alright <laughs> so that the
2: memory stays, stays pristine in my head I'll see Beautiful. But, um yeah. I've got a great photograph of that moment yeah. with you guys, I have to get it for you because it was oh, also yeah. I want to see the vaccines on stage. There's a lot of people. It wasn't just us. Are yeah. the stays were on stage. There's a few bands. Mm-hmm. It was a very. That was a very special moment. I I very I've forgotten so much of that. It was such a blur that weekend. That, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The yeah, is always a blur, crazy. but yeah, it was very wonderful. We love festivals. I mean, the one thing that all of us in the band are on is is festivals because you you get to see all these other bands that you love mm-hmm. who eventually become friends and you get to hang a bit and oddly because there's no sound check there's all oddly less pressure like it's like you know more, what you mean it's a little bit more we're closer
0: of, to the edge even just going out you're
2: closer to the edge but in a way you sort of have to like surrender to whatever happens a little bit so it makes it's great fun it's always great fun. let's do it again we're there thank you all right
1: And that was our conversation
0: with Winston Marshall of Mumford & Sons. What a great guy. What a great guy. We really enjoyed talking to him. It was over a wait Over or almost a year ago? Almost a year almost ago. Almost a year ago. So a lot has transpired between then and now, but I think a lot of the points he made still hold. And I just wanted to say, be sure and check out Mumford & Sons on their Delta World Tour, which is happening now. I have no idea where you live specifically, but if you Google their name, you'll, you'll be told whether or not they're coming near you, which they probably will be.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Today, we're recording this on October 6th. So, exactly a month after we recorded the intro to this episode. Isn't that something? That is something. This has truly been a journey (laughs) of an episode of uh, a podcast. Anyways, we're in Salt Lake City. We're playing tonight
0: at The Complex. It's like the parking lot, the lot at The Complex?
1: You know, you go from show to show. Sometimes you don't even know the name of the venue or the stage, but I think we're playing. The building's at, called The Complex, the, that's for sure. But we're playing at the lot of The Complex. Right, okay. But but right now we're actually in a day room. And CT, since not all of our listeners are touring musicians, tell me,
0: what is a day room? A day room is a room in a hotel, somewhat naturally, that if you're touring in a bus, you don't always have the facilities that you need. So essentially, to borrow a phrase, it's to shit, shower, and shave.
1: Exactly.
0: And this room is beautiful for recording a podcast. I got to say, it's real nice. Great ambiance. I think the natural reverb here is really bringing out the timbers, natural timbers of our voices. Really beautiful
1: stuff. So, as we said in our first episode, we really want to answer your questions. And if you have a question about touring or for us, send an email to taken at the ringer.com. Now, it's been a couple of days since our first episode came out, and I am blown away by the number and quality of questions
0: we've received. I haven't Um, haven't quite figured out how to log in yet, so uh, I take your word for it. That's a good response.
1: Right now, I'm the guy who reads the emails. And we only got one email that I would describe as trollish. Okay. And that was from my wife. (laughs) Her question was just wondering if you guys could cover the specific rules about pooping on the tour bus.
0: Uh, I can take that one. Okay. That is a no-go. That is rule number one. Never, never, never.
1: Never. Don't do it. Another thanks, question. Thanks for, your question. Thanks, thanks for thanks for your question, Katie from Los Angeles. Um, this next question that I'd like to answer uh, because it's relevant to this episode is from Dan. Hi, Dan. He writes, "Hey guys, just listened to the first pod with Patrick and loved it. So obviously, the NYC show happened since the time you guys originally taped this. I like that our listeners are paying attention to the chronology of these episodes. It's really good stuff." i um, curious to see if the garden lived up to everything you thought it was going to be. I was there with my wife and a few friends and can tell you it was three hours of pure bliss. It was a concert meets dance party meets a jam session. Well, thanks so
0: much, Dan. Um, I don't know, CT, how was the garden for you? The garden was a lot of things. I, I think in my head, there's kind of two streams of information, mm-hmm. one of which was in real time and one of which was sort of the more meta- Larger emotional aspects, yeah. Uh, in real time, I thought we played well. I had a couple like small, small things which you might have noticed. I definitely noticed, okay. But nothing that would have disrupted a song or or anything. I thought I played well, which yeah. is always sort I of. you played well. My too. main, my main goal, absolutely. Uh, I thought we played well, mm-hmm. and I thought that the crowd was obviously somewhat ginormous, and there was a thing that we did that, which I was. I wasn't sure how it would work out, but I think it turned out to be pretty cool, actually, both for us and I think for the audience, was there were these USB bracelets that our lighting technician had control over. And at a few moments in the set, they burst into red or or blue or green or whatever it was. And in those moments in particular, the volume of the room really mm-hmm. hit me of like, oh, shit, there's a bracelet on someone all the way up there. and. I assumed that the bracelet was moving, that they were dancing and having a good time. Um, so all of those, all of the real time stuff was good. And then I think since we played it, the bigger emotional meta stuff, it's only really started to sink in that you know that yeah. we sold that shit out, and that's insane and just bonkers in a way that if if I was allowing myself to think about that in real time, I would not have played as well.
1: Well, for me, I gotta say it was one of the best nights of my life. <laughs> okay, nice.
0: yeah, and that's kind of like. Cool. You, I don't, really, you don't have kids, so you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's all I really have to say about it. Um, I thought we did our thing and we owned the room and we roasted the occasion. And, and uh, you got a
0: you got a little Twitter heat from the oh New York yeah, Rangers. the New York
1: Rangers showed me love. Oh yeah, yeah. Someone else asked about my shirt that I wear sometimes. It shows that has on the back Vampire Weekend in the Rangers logo, and I got to shout out my friend Gordon, who's an artist. Uh, his Project is called Consume Cool. That was another one of the great questions we got. But um, follow Consume Cool on Instagram. He's amazing. And uh, yeah, the Rangers noticed it and tweeted it out. And for me, that was a big deal. When I when I saw that on my phone, when I got off stage, I was a very happy boy. Um, I Actually, listening back to our conversation from before the show, how we were talking about our different sleep schedules and stuff like that, I was really, really jacked up after the show. And I probably didn't fall asleep until 8 a.m. So that was... I I didn't get a good night's sleep the night after the garden,
0: but it was really, really wonderful. That's okay, you can you can deal with that.
1: Yeah, no, I'm fine. But thank you so much, Dan, for that great question. Um, Thanks, Dan. Again, if you want us to answer your questions, please, please email us at the taken at the ringer
0: dot com. Well, right now, right now, Chris is just reading them, but I'm assuming that he's going to, <laughs> you know, really pass on anything meant for me specifically. You know, whatever.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Please email us. Please. Subscribe, right, like, like, and give subscribe. us feedback. Again, CT, what's your social media presences? What are your handles?
0: Uh, at the real CT one on Twitter and at dams of the west on Instagram. And we, are, I think, before you say yours, I will say that we're seeing all the things that you're saying, both good, neutral, and the occasional mm, slightly negative, uh, which is fine. But I think, honestly, hearing this, hearing the feedback is is makes a lot of difference and really helps us do this, and we appreciate it.
1: And I am my last name backwards on Instagram and Twitter, OYAB OIAB. Oh, I also want to say, because this wasn't in the plan when we were been taping stuff before, but has started annotating each and every episode of The Road Taken, and, and I was blown away by your Black Keys annotation. It's on the Ringers website. There'll be one for this episode. I'm gonna have a tough time sleeping on Tuesday night before that annotated guide drops. So definitely check that out. Again, thank you so much for listening. And uh We'd like to leave you with a quote from Buddha There are only two mistakes one can make along the road to truth Not going all the way And not starting Thank you